Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Liz Candace. This is Nikki Collin. What up guys, this is Esther Sarkis. Hey, this is Imani Lee Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. Oh, welcome in. My mic is too loud. I was worried about it. I, I, as, as soon as I saw the, you know, you see the sound wave and you're like, Oh no. Uh, you can, Jason, if you want to keep this, that's fine. If you want to cut it, also fine. Uh, welcome, welcome back to WMBA Nation. Uh, once again, lots going on with your, your favorite co-host this summer. Oh Sad gosh. we couldn't be around more for, for W coverage, but happy to be back with you here about a week and a half to two weeks before the postseason begins. I, as you can hear from the laughter in the background, am joined oh my by my, my co-host, Steve Schwartzman. Steve, why don't you give us uh, an, an intro? Tr- take a shot at it. Take a shot. I've done so many bad intros in my day, and I'm not even saying those bad intro, but I've done so many wacky, weird, or like best pictures, but that had like... I don't know if you've ever seen the the video of the outtakes of the it's it's Orson Welles in the 80s doing a French champagne commercial and he's clearly no. sauced in the in it and there's this these outtakes of him just be like and there's one where there's this long silence and he just goes Oh, the French <laughs> champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence and it like ball mess That's what I was going for. Um it was oh gosh, that was so. I just loved every single second of that because I've I've been there where I'm like, oh crap, what do I say? And it's been another minute. We keep promising we're gonna be back in the seat, and then life keeps happening. Producers well, having babies. Like, now, a little, little, yeah, a little behind the scenes look. Kyle's involved in about conservatively 19 different activities. He's a diner uh, menu Jason, right now. That place is doing too much. Jason just had a baby, uh, and. You know, I guess you have to pay the, attention the to the snow. Babies the snow family so. welcomed a baby. His his spouse uh, had one. Um, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, and so, and and this is what I was really trying to get at. Steve and I actually sat down probably two weeks ago. We're like, let's let's hammer out an episode. We miss talking with the WNBA nation. They probably miss us. Yes. Sad that we haven't been like on your on your podcast, like on your new podcast list for so long. And then because Steve and I are both ADD, we haven't talked to each other for like a month before that. We talked for about six hours uh, and didn't record any of it. Uh, we just caught up for a very long time. And it's the sort of thing that we normally do and on then, a road trip, but I didn't, I didn't 
go with you guys on the road trip. And then I went out of town, and then you went out of town, and then it just it the summer's ending. Oh, school's back in sesh. My dumb family decided to get together and do a reunion, which actually was fantastic. I'm making fun of them, but yeah, I just it's not a busy time of year. Anyway, apologies aside, we got a lot of stuff that we want to cover. We're going to talk about Asia versus Stewie. We're going to talk about Aces. We're going to talk about playoff bubble today. So if that seems your speed, stick with us. Before we get into that, uh, I was rusty with the intro, so I'll let Steve be rusty with the plug. Steve, can you tell people how to find our show and how to review and all that? I just, I'm going to make this one sweet, short and sweet. Head over to WNBANation.com. It'll connect to all of our socials, which generally would be WNBANationPod. Um, we're looking to, to get connected to other pieces. Um, I know we haven't been on Twitch in a minute, but we may be drumming that back up. But stay connected with us there. That's also where you can connect with our merch page and uh, get your hands on some good digs that way. Um, anything out basis. But that's your hub. That's your central area to, to connect with us and stay with us and, and hit us with a follow. If you do listen to us on a platform, be it Apple Pods or anywhere else, that has a review system. We'd love a five-star review. We'd love a comment. Let us know what you love about the show um, and what more we can do to make the show interesting and exciting for you. If you do give us a five-star review, we will share it here on the program. That's always fun for us, but uh, you can listen to us anywhere that your podcast can be found. Uh, if you're on an iPhone, it's probably going to be Apple pod. If you're on an Android, it could be one of like a thousand other options because Android doesn't have an embedded one. I hear Google Pods okay. I listen to some shows on Spotify, but then I have my own app. This is me revealing to the world that I'm an Android user. I don't know what that makes people think of me, but I guess we'll see. But all <laughs> things all, if you want to connect to us on socials, uh, whether it be on uh, you know Facebook or Threads or Mastodon or Blue Sky, uh, Mastodon or Friendster, MySpace, High Five. Um, Tout, trying to think of all the old school ones or the ones that died. Like Vine, if you, we might be on Vine, but probably not. I miss Vine. Um, we are on TikTok and we're hoping to get some stuff d- dug up on TikTok, some content to connect with you guys over there. Instagram, I believe as well. All the good stuff. Uh, but stay connected with us. Uh, and we're excited to be getting some content and yeah. Perfect. Uh, th- there's the plug. Thanks for hitting the plugs. Uh, yeah, stay with us. We're, we're here for you. Uh, we're back and here for you through the rest of the season, the postseason and the off season. Don't go anywhere during the off season. We'll still be doing stuff. Yes, uh, yes. we just had a little bit of a pre-record where we talked about maybe possibly doing a little bit of W history. Uh, guys. So just, I'm just going to float hung- that out there. If you're hungry for it, we're hungry for it. We're looking. In fact, if float you connect with us, however you connect with us on socials, let us know any topical ideas you'd have for W history. Cause we are looking, especially as the offseason sits in, yeah. we're looking to dig into that. So I would love to hear some feedback on W history ideas for sure. Perfect. We move on to the Las Vegas aces. Yes. Your reigning champions are 30 and five on the season. albeit they are three and three over their last six. A lot of stuff going on off the court on the court. I don't think anybody's hitting the panic button necessarily. We've recently had an Asia Wilson game of fifth, Three points, tying the single season, uh, sorry, the single game WNBA scoring record uh, in a game against the Atlanta Dream, which they won by 12. 
I, I want to start off with a more focused question than this, but the best I have is Steve. What do you make of the Aces like dropping three of their last six, but still feeling like the most dominant team in the league? I'll be honest with you. Um, as I sat through it, I, I think as a general rule, it didn't. I didn't sweat it much at all. But I'll say a lot of it is because, in my opinion, this was just kind of a busy week for the Aces. They went to the White House. Uh, you're just coming off Becky Hammond's Hall of Fame. Uh, you've got all these other tertiary items and things happening. You have a Commissioner's Cup game that randomly was in the middle of all this, even though you played the Liberty again like two days later in the exact same arena. There was a lot diving around, a lot of things happening, and I think the team was probably overworked, over overstated. Becky Hammond apparently seems to be having that same feeling. She actually locked the team out of the gym during this stretch and said, you guys just need to clear your heads and get back to playing good basketball. We know what we need to do out there. Let's just get it done. Nights like... This most previous game, which happens on the night that we recorded this, doesn't help that philosophy a little bit because that was a tough loss. But um, I think overall, I'll say this. They were going to hit a slick patch at some point. All great teams do. Better now than in two weeks or three weeks. Um, Yeah. And so I I think if you're going to hit this now and restabilize – and take a brief, you know, a deep breath and get yourselves recharged for the playoffs. I think that's perfectly fine. So my panic mode is if you're percentaging it, I'd put it at like 10 to 15% at most. Can I give you a quick follow-up question to gauge this as well? I, my way to fall back yeah. at you is this. I'm seeing a lot of power rankings eking Vegas suddenly down to two. Uh, no, no less than two, but but down to two from their power rankings. They've pretty much been the top team in the power rankings all season, um, and people have been bumping the Liberty a little bit. Are you at at a place where you are making that same move in your mind, or do you still see this team currently at at the top of the pile? Mm, good question. Uh, if if by power rankings. You mean like who's who's playing at their peak right now? Yeah. Sure, sure. I would I would knock Vegas down a little bit. New York has lost one of like eleven games, and it was to Vegas on the road in the middle of I think they were on like a six game road streak or a uh, road trip. So they they played Vegas twice. They split it. They were on the road a bunch. They still picked up wins against Connecticut, who's number three right now in the standings. Uh, Minnesota's playing well, especially at home. They crushed Minnesota. They're a 500 team. They're in the playoffs. So, like, I I think New York is playing real well. And then, it's speaking of teams that are peaking at the right time, we might get to them a little bit later. But the Sparks have won six in a row. So, if you're just going purely by, like, who looks good right now, yeah, you might be able to fade Vegas a little bit. But in terms of my concerns... I mean, we've been through this with teams and and leagues for for years. If you're a sports fan, yes. right? Like, how how many? I not to to put salt in the wound of <laughs> of something. I, I'm not meaning to bring this up to be a jerk, but you remember when the Sports Illustrated cover came out where the Dodgers were basically like, "Is this the greatest Dodgers team of all time?" Because they won a bunch of Mad and then they lost that. like 13 of their next 14. <laughs> I, I would be most angry about the tw- that 2017 season about that cover had it not been for the worst cheating scandal since 1919. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's that same feel it's, where it's just kind of like yeah. the Aces were crowned 
in some ways really fast. And I think some people may have looked at the, especially the commissioner's cup performance against uh, New York and say, okay, maybe we've put too much stock, like still very good chance. They're the team on top, but it's not as certain of an answer. And I'll say this. Um, if you're a WNBA fan in general and you're excited about its growth and you're excited about its, uh, I'd say it's overarching success as a league because you're a fan, um, New York winning the Commissioner's Cup was the best thing that could have happened. Totally. It yeah. just, it adds so much more to that intrigue. Uh, if you're, if you're still expecting the Aces to walk away with the title this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those situations where you, they would have hit a rough patch at some point and keep in mind, the commissioner's cup doesn't really count on the record. So you're still talking about a team that had a two loss stretch. This is very much a, a Yukon like discussion <laughs> for, a, for <laughs> a team that's nearly anti Yukon in the aces, which is a really intriguing discussion point that doesn't come up a lot. If you're, if you're a complete Yukon hater um, minus like Kia Stokes, I think like you very much should be an aces fan. Um, that's kind of what I feel whenever UConn loses two games in one season, we suddenly are having the talk of like, are they finally on the out? Is their era over now that they lost two games? Like, and it's, you almost get that same vibe out of this discussion, but. Uh, yeah. If, if your team is so good that you can go 500 for a week when your coach is busy, you're at the white house, you got a bunch of stuff going on and still maintain a two and a half game lead over the next best team for the number one overall seed in the, in the playoffs, you're, you're probably pretty good. So you, of course you want to see a team look real sharp going into the playoffs. I think we all agree with that. Don't worry, Vegas, you've got plenty of tune up games on the schedule coming. I yep. think they're going to be fine. Uh, we move on to Asia Wilson specifically. I mentioned the 53 point game earlier. She and Bree Stewart are kind of your perennial safe picks for being in the MVP race. They've competed directly for the MVP a couple times already in their careers. They're both having career seasons. Yeah. At least statistically, you, I mean, you look across the board and points per game, rebounds, all that. Like it's pretty close between the two of them. They both obviously have a huge impact when they're on the floor on both ends of the floor. I, I think what's so interesting about the New York or Vegas, like like who would you take in a series sort of discussion, is that Asia and Bree Stewart both have like uh, like you can make the argument for either one of them, and it's just they have very similar arguments. It's not like one is just like does one thing really well and one is a defensive stalwart or whatever. It's just like I don't know. They're both just great two way players. I I kind of need you to convince me. To, to pick a side here because I'm so neutral when it comes to like, which I'd prefer to see when we we've, let me take a step back really quick. By the way, MVP just has a different meaning in sports than how we usually think about it. Like a lot of times it's basically just like the player who's most valuable to like the narrative of the season, in which case they should call it as Steve suggested on player the pre-record. The they should just call it player of the year. Just player of the year. With that in mind, who is, who right now do you feel like, is player of the year. Is it Asia with all these big time performances and on the dominant 30 and five team, or is it Bree who moved to New York in the off season and immediately things started clicking for them and they're in contention. And she's also had a bunch of big performances. Yeah. I've actually thought the way you were going to take that is also Bree Stewart, who's had a bunch of dominant performances and is on the 27 and seven team. Like it's kind of a, 
right. uh, a very similar note of this. And even if you go down, I mean, stat sheets, they're both at uh, in the top five in rebounds in blocks per game. Uh, if it weren't for Jewel Lloyd playing completely out of her mind, they would both be atop the points, uh, the scoring in in the league, and they're both that solid. Now, I'll put it this way. Most valuable player is always a hard discussion when you put it at the term of, like, define valuable and how does that work. Like you said, how you asked the question, I'm glad you brought it up this way because I feel this. If we're talking just pick the player of the year right now, if you need a tiebreaker, in my opinion, for player of the year, Asia Wilson tying the all-time record for a single-game scoring is the tiebreaker for me right now. That, that that added accolade just adds to the narrative for me of what she's put on the court this season because she's coming off her second MVP award and has played better than both of those seasons. Uh, and has put out consistent statement level wins um, and has played well on both sides of the court. But that alone, the thing that's interesting about these two is everything you could say right now about Asia's game, you could say about Bree and vice versa. It's absolutely bonkers how well they match up together. Like I keep, I, I hate that every episode I have to bring up an MNBA comparison and people hate that. But if the WNBA truly needed a current magic bird type situation, it that's what this feel. It's two teams. Their best players are in their absolute prime and their teams are completely stacked and they're playing at the top of the league. It has that feel to it. And it's because they complement each other so insanely well. So if you need an accolade that puts one over the other, uh, that kind of runs it for me. Or... Can I ask you a follow-up that might put this into perspective? If right now you have to choose the MVP based off player of the year, like if there's an accolade that puts one over the other, do you give it to Aisha Wilson for having this new scoring record? Or do you give it to Bree Stewart for being the lead player on the Commissioner's Cup winner? That's I do think when you're splitting hairs like this with players that are just so similar and so good, I do think little things like that start to matter, like head to head, the commissioner's cup. I, I do even want to take into account that like earlier tonight, Stewie went for 38, which is plenty in three quarters. And then basically took the fourth quarter off because Minnesota was getting the break speed off of them. So it kind of feels like, like, I don't know if her goal was to go out there and get 53. I think, I think she could probably it was, do it. Was it was in the cards. Yeah. Like, and, and uh, you know, it's a lot, it's one thing to say she could do it versus actually, you know, performing that way in the game. And so I don't know, but again, like these, these players are so high level and so consistently good that it's really hard to differentiate. You have to start looking at those, those little, you know, those minimal things that might prove an advantage. Uh, overall, I, maybe this is just because of proximity because we're here in Utah and we feel like, I feel like we hear tons about Vegas and maybe the Bree Stewart, you know, the, the revolution that the, the Liberty have undergone this, this past off season and this season as now one of the contenders in the league. We all kind of anticipated it in the summer. It has come to fruition. We all kind of saw that coming. I think we all picked the Liberty as our number two team in the league in our preseason predictions, which were all over the place otherwise, but we nailed that. Um, 
it kind of feels like Asia is the player of the year to me. And it, it does feel like for the rest of their careers, both will be chasing rings and MVPs at the cost of the other. Like, I, it doesn't mean that someone else can't break into that discussion in any given year or that there won't be other good teams. But if, if both are surrounded by talent and both are playing like this, I mean, I, I said it at the very beginning of this, this segment, I don't know if people realize, like, like Stewie's had an argument to be the MVP pretty much every year she's been in the league. This is her best season statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's doing it on a team that like we, we talked about this on our show at the beginning of the season, like took a minute to mesh, right? Like they didn't come out the gate looking like a dominant force. We just kind of assumed they would get there, but like she was playing with all new teammates. These are not the teammates that she played with in Seattle for six years. And they figured it out really fast. And this is versus, Asia's very comfortable in Vegas. It's where she's always been. She's playing with players that have been her teammates for years and years. I and, I know the makeup looks a little different this year, but... And what's interesting about the Liberty is the point you make about Stewie is true for nearly the rest of the Liberty. This is such a new face team that it was obviously going to take a minute for things to come together. And right now, it feels like they're hitting that peak, like they're playing their best basketball at a consistency level. And that's why it makes it interesting with the Aces, who have been playing pretty much red hot from the start. And so to have this cooling out period, it's interesting to see how things time up. I, I think it's interesting because when you turn it from a player of the year discussion to a most valuable, those big angry words, very serious. Like it becomes to some people an interesting discussion, but also their rosters are in similar situations because it's like, well, yeah, you, you would, be on a good team and be able to play well if you played with Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young. Yeah, but you also would be able to play extremely well if you were playing with Sabrina Ionescu and Courtney Vandersloot and John Cole Jones and Nigel Laney. It's like they both run into that similar situation of who's, you know, moving that needle a little more. Stewie has that narrative of this is not a cemented team. We're very new to things and and watch what what I've been able to help this team accomplish. In in lieu of that, it, I think Asia is very much the narrative of, like, expectations. You're walking out of a championship year when you won the MVP. Like, what's the expectations? Can you play – can you somehow top what you were able to pull off in 2022? And so far, it's kind of showing that. So that's what makes this overall discussion. Yeah. But right it's, now – It's tough. Yeah. If it's uh, – I would say it's tough when, when someone like Asia – I, I mean, if if you did a whole league-wide redraft and someone has to go number one overall and Asia goes first overall, if you're the second pick, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm taking Stewie. Like, yeah, like, if it's, if it's, it's, it's tough yeah. when it's that close of just like, I don't, I don't feel like you feel shafted getting either one of those to be the centerpiece of your team for years and years. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if it's if it's million dollar question. I'm out of lifelines. There's no one behind me who can cough to give me the answer. I'd probably go Asia. But uh, this same time tomorrow, if I said Stewie, I don't think it would shock anyone. Um, I think I think both have good arguments. I, I think Stewie, you definitely would want to root an argument. Like, look at where New York was last year. Look at where they are now. That's a big impact. But think about, like, every time, every time Asia looks like she's going to play with a star center, they either cause drama and get moved or in Candace Parker's case, like she came in in the summer looked like that was going to be even more of an unfair team. And now she's not out there. It doesn't matter. They're still dominant. It's just like, 
they've they've been able to withstand a lot of change yeah. versus Stewie's been able to like showcase and create you know change amid like a, a borderline playoff team. They were they were in the playoffs last year. The Liberty were, but like they were not a a force to be reckoned. I wouldn't with put them in now. the so, title contention discussion. And this year, yeah. it's in, very con- much that, in conclusion, yeah. Sydney Colson's the MVP for being the best Twitter follow in the league. She's um, yeah, the, the most entertaining player. We move. Part. We move now, not to the opposite side of the standings entirely, but I think to the most interesting bundle of teams, uh, which more than anything proves that we were right to be very confused about our preseason predictions. Uh, because currently you've got, I, maybe I'll leave the Dallas wings out of this. The Dallas wings are currently fourth at 18 and 16. They're two games above 500. They're playing really well. They have a, a plus point scoring differential. They're going to get home court in the playoffs. I will, I will give them the dignity of leaving them out of this. Like a bunch of teams are really close discussion, even though they are only like a game and a half up on Minnesota. But right now you're five through eight. Is Minnesota, Atlanta, Washington, LA. They're separated by a grand total of a game. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, what do you make of this, Steve? Like this bundle of four. And if you want to dip down into the ninth team, which would be the first one out of the playoffs, you've got Chicago down at 13 and 21. Um, but that's the, the five through eight, obviously, even with five or six games left, you could see a lot of shuffling in the yeah. order, which does matter. If if you're playing the wings in the first round versus the aces, that matters. And that's no no shade on the wings. I like what Dallas is doing this year. I think they're going to be really dangerous in the playoffs. But if you give me the choice, yeah. I would much rather I would much rather go into Dallas than LA or New York or Connecticut. So what do you make of this these four teams here on the, the bottom half of the playoffs? This has been such a bonker. This grouping of teams specifically are teams that have all essentially beaten each other, have streaked at different points, and have valleyed at different points during the season. And it almost, to me, is going to become a case of, like, who can muster a streak in their last four games just long enough to put them over the hump into that five spot, essentially. And and like you said, put, potentially be in a spot that, for all intents and purposes, makes them more competitive given those situations. Even in the sixth spot, you come up against Connecticut, who is, I mean, for Vegas and New York being that much above the league in terms of standings and their prowess, Connecticut's kind of on an island of their own. They, they're they not quite there, but I would put them well above the four spot. And so it's they're an interesting uh, case when I but when I look at that, I don't know if the base of your question is just like what's your forecast on things or like how I would predict this mapping out. I really don't know. I think it just comes down to who can put themselves in the best overall opportunity. Like, I'd have to look at schedules and get an idea of who's playing who, but overall, um, if there's one team that I'm most nervous about, or like I, I would put like the least amount of heavy stock into it probably is Washington. Yeah. Let's talk about Washington for a second. And, and um, there's, yeah. there is some, some interesting stuff to, to talk about with them. feels like Elena and Washington Dodon just certainly... beat Vegas by 16 when I say right. that. And I'm still saying it's, that I was going to say EDD went for 21 against Vegas in a win. Yeah. So they obviously still have, I it. know that but... as I'm saying this, but we also expected them to be a top four team in the league this year, and they just haven't been. They've been yeah. just fluttering around 500 the whole year. They're they're virtually the same team, at yeah. least numbers wise, as the Atlanta Dream, who's kind of a, a pleasant surprise this year. 
So I, I think it, by that measure, you have to consider Washington kind of underperforming. At the same time, kind of a tough team to face in the playoffs when you consider how many of those players were on a championship team and EDD is playing well. And they've got some confidence that they can beat good teams mm-hmm. here at the end of the season. So you've got that going against you. If you're facing the right now, they're the number seven. Again, this is the order is going to shuffle, but drawing the Mystics is kind of like, all right, that's what we got to deal with. The other team that I think is very interesting, uh, you mentioned going on a streak at the right time. Los Angeles is on a heater. Yep, they've won six in a row. Uh, you you brought up scheduling. They do play some tough games down the street. They they play on the road at Connecticut twice. They will be on the road in New York once. Uh, and then they've got game two games against Seattle, which they should win. Chicago, which they better win, uh, because Chicago's going to want that one. They're that's Chicago's chasing LA to get into the playoffs. So that's going to be a really good game on Tuesday. Um, and then they've got the Mystics in there somewhere. But those two road games at Connecticut that could spell. I mean, that could make the difference between moving up and getting a favorable first round draw, or ew, like that yeah. could. That could potentially really sideline them. To to LA's credit, I, I thought they were going to lose this game. They just played against the Atlanta Dream until Neko Gumake decided to go nuclear and rally them with 29 points in a come-from-behind win. Neko, by the way, who I did want to call out by name because we were just talking MVP stuff a second ago, she is having as good a season now by most metrics at age 32 as she did her best ever season at age 25. Yes. So, you draw the LA Sparks, you think, hey, great, they weren't supposed to be all that great this year anyway. Oh, right, Neko Gumake and Kurt Miller's on that sideline. Yeah. Hmm. That's, like, that's a tough, you know. That's a tough out. And um, personally, if you ask me, I don't see LA stopping at eight. I, I could see them bumping up a spot or two easily. Like, no, I, I think they, I think tonight's game mattered a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they cost Atlanta a game. They make another. They pick up another game on Chicago to kind of distance themselves from potential disaster and missing the playoffs. But you get a bonus. You know, now you're you're the the chaotic. You know, you get the chaotic boost of like we've won six in a row. Let's. I mean, why stop now? Like, let's go. Let's go get Connecticut. Yep. Let's go get Atlanta. I get, think you know. in terms of, I mean, it, the strength of schedule. When you look at strength of schedule, look at me. Um, <laughs> when you look at the the difficulty in terms of schedule and like what could play out, they probably have the toughest uphill. I'd argue Atlanta and Dal- and um, Minnesota are tied for possibly having the easier routes, even though some of their games are against each other, which doesn't help. But um, if there's one team that I would say, like, if you were to order these, like, where do you flip it? I could see the Sparks riding up to five and that's not a hard reality. Like you said, that one game separates all these teams. Um, and so that's where it gets intriguing with it. Atlanta and Minnesota. Um, they both have had recent losses, but they obviously play as competitively as you'll find anywhere. It, to me, it's there's an, especially with Washington, why I kind of put them where I did was there's an anemicness with them where you just don't quite know who you're going to see on a given night and how all of that is going to pan out. Um, You look at Atlanta, they've had, I think they've lost five of their last six. Um, Two of those have been against Vegas. Two of those have been against the Sparks during the Sparks streak. And then one of those is against Seattle. Um, 
which is not a great mark as it stands right now. So there's a lot to question as far as that looks. And Minnesota has also lost to Seattle in that stretch. These guys are really in, like eerily similar. <laughs> Um, yeah, they so are it's the hard same to, yeah. It's hard to forecast where they stand. It's almost like, like I could easily see a case where the Sparks flip up to five, the Mystics drop to eight, and then the Lynx in Atlanta kind of go five, six, however you decide to shake it. Or the Lynx you can just count on. No matter no matter how dire things look at any point in the season, the Lynx are going to find a way to 500. Uh, they're five and five over the last 10. They're going to finish at 500. It's... In a way, it's annoying, but also comforting. I think if you're a Lynx fan, yeah. to just be like, "Hey, you can we'll count on Minnesota to be a pesky <laughs> yeah. and difficult out in the playoffs, yeah. regardless who they're playing." Um, I think Atlanta's gaining a lot of of deep momentum as a squad historically, which is good for them. Um, but that's kind of how I see it. It's been a fun, interesting discussion point. Obviously, you can't rule out Chicago. They have key games. You talked about that Tuesday night against LA, which is going to be a big move for them because if they pull that one off. All of a sudden, this conversation changes entirely. Yes, That's so and much. By the way, different. LA has not beat Chicago this season. Chicago has so had a little added. It's still a lot of teams. A little added intrigue. They there. do not like anyone knowing what they're about, which is interesting. Um, it's interesting. I mean, as it stands right now, no team is officially eliminated from the playoffs. I think Phoenix is their number of death is like one. Um, yeah. and then I think it's just after that is Indiana and Seattle. It's they're very close. It would take a catastrophic collapse of multiple teams for any of them to actually find their way suddenly in the right spot. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that five through eight is interesting and I don't think it just affects those teams. Um, in also in the sense of where these matchups lie is going to make things really interesting for the top four teams as well, especially with the aces and the Liberty of, you know, being able to get a clean series in those first couple, or at least in that first round, could be a key differentiator for one of those teams. Yeah. Um, you know, of, of course, there is the opportunity for, I mean, LA just has to move up half a game in order to match up with the Connecticut Sun in the first round, which I think would be very fun just because of the coaching change in the offseason. See Kurt Miller coach against his former team would be. Intriguing, I think. I love um, stories. Connecticut, obviously, yeah, Connecticut, obviously, the favorite team in that matchup, and and I think would win, but nobody knows that team better than Kurt, so that yep. you know that's a little added bump that you just never know with sports. They're not one on paper. Uh, you also, it's always intriguing to see um, a team like Atlanta, who's sort of a year. I would consider them a little ahead of schedule. Um, they they made such good moves over the last two seasons to recover from just looking like they were headed a real bad direction as a franchise. Um, you always, I would, I would love to see them move up and face up against the wings who are basically like them a year from now. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the wings did a similar, a similar thing two years ago and last year. And now it's like starting to pay off. They've got some playoff experience in last season's postseason. Now they actually look like a pretty formidable team. Um, so it'd be kind of fun to see two, two of the younger playoff contestants who were probably going to be around the postseason in years to come face off in that way. Um, really, you can't go wrong with any of these matchups. Uh, I don't think any of them are really a threat to any of those top three who have already secured themselves of a playoff berth, but you just don't know. Uh, and that's, that's what it comes down to is like, I, we haven't seen a big shocker 
in the WNBA in the playoffs for a minute. Mm-hmm. But we did see the six seed Phoenix Mercury make it all the way to the championship not long ago. Two years ago? Two years ago. Yep. Um it weird stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I'm getting at. Now here's I think the as you look at the standings in general, I think the next thing that's interesting to me is honestly the race to the bottom. We don't, <laughs> because we don't fully know what the 2024 draft crowd is going to look like. It could be the deepest draft of all time. We could see a really strong handful. Any player who could make this the deepest draft of all time could also stay longer um, with uh, with their college team. Like there's a lot up in the air as far as that's considered, but talking specifically in this case about the Indiana fever, several weeks ago, we talked about them making the playoffs. Mm, they, I don't want to talk about it. The universe didn't like that. And it's where it is now. They had hey, three wins, double month, digit wins, baby three wins. Yeah. <laughs> 10 wins on the season, three wins in the month of August. That's as competitive as they've been in any given month in, in a very long time, which you know is, is a, is a net positive in some sense, but I'm going to say this. They're a half game away from that bottom spot. And if we're talking about statistics, if you're looking at a draft where for all we know, you're looking at Caitlin Clark in a fever Jersey, you could be looking at a potential page Beckers in a fever Jersey. You could have Cameron Brink in a fever Jersey. Who knows? You might have an Angel Reese or a Haley Vanlith. A lot of these players could easily stick around, but you have high potential for that. The Fever are trying to scratch every bit of positivity as they can. You have Aaliyah Boston on the court who isn't just going to tank. She's going to play as hard as she can. Um, But are we officially at that point where every win potentially hurts Indiana long term? I know people think this question's stupid, but I'm asking it anyway. I I will say no. I I know factually you're correct, like in terms of like trying to get the number one yeah. overall pick. But the fact is the the draft is really deep and it does consider your last two seasons yes. of finishes. And luckily for Fever fans, the Storm, who are gonna be in the bottom three this year, they were number four the year prior. They were twenty two and fourteen, they were a good team. So that probably lowers their odds of of surpassing yeah. the fever for the number one. And then the Phoenix Mercury, let's see if I I can pull it up really quick. The Mercury finished at eight. Uh they were on the 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 playoff bubble, but they slipped into the playoffs. So it's probably going the fever's way anyway. And your worst case scenario is like you said, if you're getting the second or third pick in that draft, you're still getting someone really special who can help you. So I think the best thing you can do right now is, I mean, they've won two in a row, get some confidence, get some experience, keep doing what you're doing. I don't think you have to go out there and try to tank. If you're the fever, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't ever want to see momentum in that direction on purpose. If you're the fever, you need, you need all the effort you can moving in a, in a direction that's basically like we need to learn how to win. So Let they me, do have some yeah. winnable games down the stretch. Um, yeah. And that was my question. It was like, that could be interesting. Cause I've talked about this previously when we had our W history about the, the comets. Um, and even a little bit when we, uh, with the Candace series, um, the comets won two of their last three games and had, uh, they for coming into what ended up being their last season, had they potentially 
dropped those games and ended up at the bottom of the of the standings, they would have had a much better chance of picking up the top pick in the upcoming draft. That was the 2008 draft. That was Candace Parker. And Ooh. I posed the question at the time, historically, could Candace Parker have saved the Houston Comets potentially? And when you look at ticket sales across the league that year, I actually do think it's, it's highly possible when you talk about revisionist history at the time. And I look at this and I go, when we're talking lottery, we're talking potential picks and who could be in this draft, Logan, this next question, I'm just going to cut to it. I've been having weird side questions. There's a lot of side quests for me today. <laughs> but let's just be straight about this, Logan. I know you agree with me. The lottery's rigged. It is. I'm just going to say it. it I'm going to Alex Jones you uh, for a second here. <laughs> it's not random. Let's play I, off. I don't, I don't want to necessarily go so far as to just be like the WNBA decides the lottery. Let's play off the assumption it's that rigged is a bad word. Let's play off the assumption there might be a little controlled business. We'll say at play. We'll say influenced. Influenced. I think is that's okay. such a better word than rigged. <laughs> that is so much a better word than rigged. Logan, if if you are in the league offices with the power to influence this lottery pick, does it even favor the fever anyway? Does it favor a potential other team narrative wise when you look at who potentially and does that influence change when if you know for certain who is going to be entering this draft? Like, yeah. Um like this is, Clark being up in the air, but then declaring, does that change it? Yeah, this too? is certainly This is I hate getting on the mic to educate people about the league and talk about the league and then answering a question like this with it depends, but I think it really depends. Um, because like, let's say you're the number one overall page doesn't look the same after her injury or has another injury. Caitlin doesn't declare and your pick is angel Reese. I think you're still plenty happy getting angel Reese in Indiana. Um, but if you had your heart set on a different type of player, if you're, if you're building your roster around like thinking you were going to draft one of those, kind of outside scoring heavy guards. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think the Indiana Fever are in a position to be picky about who's available if they have the number one overall pick. But I digress. I I do think we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking same old fever this offseason. And and I know I've I've done too much defending the fever this year for them still being a bottom three team. But I will say going from five wins to ten, like where they were at last year was a full tier below even the worst teams in the league last year. They are now on the tier with the bottom three teams, which are like teams that have talented players. Yeah. Interesting because development I think, terms. I think the Fever yeah. have talented players. Interested development terms. This is them going from sell to don't buy. To don't buy. Yes, this yeah, is exactly happening. right. So, so I realize they're still at the bottom of the standings. They're not in the playoff hunt. That sucks. I wanted them to be better this year. But they are a lot better this year. They're just coming from the absolute seller. So yeah. I do want to give them a little bit of a break and say like, hey, like this is it's not woe is us, all is lost. Like they've made so many changes to that organization. They're I, I do think they're certainly headed in the right direction. And pretty much anybody they can get in the draft in any of like the top three spots, let's say, is going to help them and be good. So I don't think you have to tank. I don't think you have to worry about yeah. it. My personal, my personal view on things, 
um, as, as it stands right now. And this maybe is a stupid thing to say before this college season because a lot can change in, in a college season. I think if they have the number one overall pick, they're probably taking Beckers if she looks like the player that she was uh, at, at full at full health and if the injury isn't an issue. But I used to think that was just an obvious pick to make. And I do think that last season, Caitlin Clark made a real case, um, both for exposure of the team and excitement around the team and for genuine talent on the court that's going to translate to the next level. She, I mean, she made up leaps and bounds of the gap that I thought existed between like someone like Beckers, who is like, I think, I think she's going to be good as a pro in Clark, who I had questions about. So I do think it's more of a question now. I also, and this, this is just purely intuition. This is based on nothing. Take this for what it's worth, which is nothing. Angel Reese has just always struck me as like, she's going to Phoenix, man. The X factor is going <laughs> to love her in Phoenix. She's so going to Phoenix. Diana Tarazi is going to retire and Griner is going to, I don't know if Griner is going to retire, if she's going to move on, if she's going to resign in Phoenix, but Angel Reese is the future, the Phoenix Mercury. It's just, it's felt, I feel that in my bones and I, I can't move off of that. So even though she might deserve to even be the number one overall pick, it just feels like that's where she's going to land. Yeah, well, I was going to close this uh, segment by saying when the Phoenix Mercury obviously get the number one pick and then move on with that. But that's where the the situation of what's the spectrum with these players uh, and who's sticking around. Because with Angel Reese, do we see her enter into the draft? Or like she said herself, she's making quite enough money still in college that – Sure. You know, is sticking at LSU the best brand for her for an extra year? We'll see how that goes. But I think because of the DT thing, there's vibes of that with her. But I also think narrative wise with Phoenix, you've got you got the all-star game. Everyone's already on the rumblings of is DT going to officially call retirement next year? Easy way to add in the next generation of the Mercury there while she's on the way out. You kind of have that. You know, similar to the Candace Lisa Leslie situation, right? And so it's it's interesting where that take goes. This year, more than almost any other year, and possibly next year will be the same. The race to the bottom is as intriguing as it's ever been. Um, of like what what potential does that play for these teams yeah. in how they when, fare and and I forgot to even mention two names that you brought up that are so different, but I also think are great prospects, which is 6'4", Cameron Brink, and mm-hmm. Van Lith, who I think is like 5'6", maybe 5'7", on a good day. Um, those I think those are going to be good players and could potentially be coming in this next year's draft, too. That means someone like maybe Chicago, who I think is going to rebound fairly quickly just because of who they are. Like... If they draw, I mean, they, they finished second in the standings in 2022, but like if, if a team like that is able to dip into like a top five pick and leave with, I mean, we've seen Van Lith and Caitlin Clark go toe to toe. We've seen Cameron Brink play with the best, you know, in the best conference on the best team. Those, that's five players right there where I'm like, dude, I'll, I'll build my future on any of those five players. I've had way too many tangents that episode, but I got to get some on my chest real quick. LSU fans, you're going to hate hearing this, but like, I know they've got this super team structure and that's really good. And I know Haley Van Lith, uh, has this connection with Mulkey for some reason, even though it still bugs me, but like it, it, that is what it is. That ended up how it ended up. But, I'm constantly seeing, especially on TikTok, because they're both playing 
they have Team USA uh, representation. Like, there's constant content with Brink and Van Lith together and their antics and them playing together. How did you not go to Stanford? Like, how did that yeah. transfer not happen? Like, I this and I probably this. This is not an anti-LSU or SEC yeah. take. And I, I know, but by the way, it's probably more interesting she, is the competitive spectrum across the country. Yes. If she's it's probably at good she didn't go to Stanford because right now the Pac-10 or Pac-12 is in literal shambles. But I so would have loved to see maybe if Stanford the reigning, the reigning yeah. champ. Yeah. The reigning champ LSU led by Angel Reese and, and legitimately a super team. Versus, we all know South Carolina is going to reload, even though we're like, oh, like they have their window. It's like they're still going to be good. And then Caitlin Clark, who's just like, I'm just the dude, no matter who. I'm, I'm know, the no governor of Iowa. And then, oh uh, yeah, Haley, Haley Van Lith. He, she she probably didn't get an invite to Stanford because she was not six foot two, and that's just the only people that Stanford likes putting on the floor. But, but just swap out Haley Jones for she, Van Lith. It just she would have been. Such a good fit on that team. Ah. I agree. Um, but she, I, again, I, I don't think she should get lost in the shuffle of like, oh, well, she's not one of those. Uh, she's not one of those top three that we were just talking about. Reese, Beckers, Clark. Because in all honesty, like Louisville had as much a championship window as any of those teams over the last couple of years because of Van Lith. They yeah. were in the final four. Like that's, <laughs> you know. I don't know. I'm very excited for as, as much as I feel uh, badly for our listeners, for all the stuff that's been going on this summer, that's keeping us from releasing more regular uh, in season episodes, the off season and college season is going to be a blast this year. And it's interesting because like the, I'm just talking narrative here too, because like I'm not having any, I, I don't want anyone being like, this is like some sort of Stanford vice. I want everyone to know this right now. Historically, I grew up in California I grew up hating Stanford. I grew up a USC fan. If I'm going to give you any sort of biased take, I'm I'm a Juju Watkins fan. I want to see how things go with the Trojans this next year, even though they're going to be in the Big Ten, and I'm still trying to put my brain around that, that they're going to be regularly scheduled. We're going to have Juju facing off against Caitlin Clark in the Big Ten. That's some weird shit. Like, just... What happened to the Pac-12? Can I, anyway, this this is a discussion for a different day because we can. In fact, we should have this discussion soon. Like, what's going to happen with college ball with all the stuff going on with the conferences? Yeah. But and everything directing the movement in the Pac-12 and and the conferences, whatever, is obviously football and then like men's basketball, kind of. But it's not academic, and they definitely don't pay attention to what it's going to do to women's sports. Can I just say? With the current plans in place, it certainly feels like a lot of the Pac-12 is going to end up merged with the current Mountain West type of teams just because of geography and because that makes a lot of sense. Nothing in, in this is secure or yeah. for sure or anything like that. But that would be a disaster. Yeah. The the Pac-12 being either number one or number two in in like ranked teams going far in the tournament the last couple of years in women's basketball, matching up against potentially the worst conference in the nation in women's basketball. I promise that's not something you want. It's not, it's not going to get viewers. It's not going to prepare teams like Stanford for the postseason. It's going to be bad for everyone. They got to figure out some, you know, make it a football or men's basketball only sort of stipulation. But that's, that's going to be very interesting to see how, the college football landscape kind of influences the future. The Pac-12 recently being a hotbed for women's basketball in the, these most recent years 
it's really set. That dynamic is going to be taken away, which is going to be really interesting. I mean, you're looking at a dominant Stanford team that very recently won a title, Arizona nearly, nearly stealing one. UCLA, who's looked really solid. The Oregon team, how good. good they've been good. UCLA, and now that whole Oregon spectrum State is changing yeah. and affecting all of those other conferences as well. I mean, now you have yeah. teams affecting the Big 12 spectrum. It's just going to be heavily interesting as far as that's considered. I like that we're nearly ending the WNBA season. We're already talking college stuff. But this is for me to bring up that like you could almost, when you talk about the W, you can almost segment the, the standings and everywhere kind of has a discussion, which is intriguing, um, which is, I think, what makes this all the more interesting and all the more fun. But just there have been so many things that I've read up and watched up about on where the W has grown this year. And it's only getting started because what builds leagues, what propels the popularity in sports is narrative, is stories. Uh, is connecting dots, is recognizable figures. And we're about to see a pretty sound multiplication in that with what the college game is adding and what it's about to add. Because you can even go yeah. to the prep game. There are a lot of players, like high character players. And when I say high character, I don't mean like, you know, stand up individual. They might be, but I mean like, People you can put a marketing bank on yeah. and also are great players that are going to be entering that spectrum of the game as well. Um, the entire face of the game is changing. I think you're going to see a culm- like a culminating type experience like women's soccer just saw at the World Cup where it became must-see television uh, and, and we're getting there. I mean, we look at it. The national title game last year was 10 million viewers. Um <laughs> Of all the so, things that have helped the WNBA's growth, how could that not have been one of them, right? Like, yeah, that's a huge booster yeah. for them. I, I have a great litmus test for this in terms of like sports fans who are in the loop versus out of the loop on women's basketball. I have two older brothers. One lives in Brooklyn and is like about the Liberty. Like he sends me Sabrina highlights. He's like, this is dope. <laughs> like he, he's been to games. He's about it. My other older brother... He's a sports guy who's just pretty out of the loop. He's, he's your typical, he's not a troll or anything, but he's your typical, like, doesn't really pay a ton of attention to, to women's basketball unless something really special is happening. I know when something special is happening when that brother texts me and is like, did you see this? And it's the three point contest from this year, or it's Caitlin Clark in the post, in the, in March Madness or something like that. Like, those are the things that kind of break that barrier and become like, oh, like, you know, when, you remember when Sabrina and and, uh, and that team was together at Oregon, but then the the COVID thing happened. They didn't get a chance at another championship run. Like that is, has developed into stuff in the league now that he's paying attention to. Where before he didn't pay a lot of attention to the W. So making a name for yourself in college, having those big moments, having big time exposure to ten million viewers, and then getting into the league and doing stuff there too. Like it's going to continue to that. That's the exponential growth the league has needed for a long time. No, absolutely. And I think it's like that just plays into so many dividends, which makes it really interesting. But all that considered, we still have five to six, I think some teams even seven uh, regular season games, a couple more pieces left here. I don't know why I'm playing host. You're the host. I, yes, I, I was going to let you do it. I'm, I'm sorry. All of my weird wind horse conspiracy theoristy talk. I, the table I here. think. 
I think it was nice of you to take over as host because of how I started the show. You're like, I'm not going to make you uh, figure out how to end the show. <laughs> you Paul don't like the deep son. sigh. There's a California the- one by Paul, my son. <laughs> um, I, you've got to watch that clip. It's too funny. Um, the, yeah, the, the playoff shuffle will continue to happen in the standings over the next week and a half. We will continue to bring you more, more info and episodes as we can be available. Uh, please engage with us wherever podcasts can be found. And as always, thank you for listening and leaving reviews and being so nice to us. Steve, anything else you want to add before we close for good? Not for good. That seems dire. For good. We're done. For good. Um, I'm just very, ex- I, I, I'm very excited. I love the W. We've got playoffs coming up. We're definitely going to do everything we can to boost uh, our, our coverage over. We wish we could give more details on why things have been tough to get episodes out, but we're working on it. And uh, definitely expect a more frequency as we get closer to the playoffs. Um, and then I'm just going to be really quick on this and say, cause I, I brought up soccer a little bit, but like everyone else in the women's sports spectrum, we support Jenny Hermoso and the Spain national team and everything that's going on there and hope that we can get back to putting a positive face on women's sports and do away with these characters that seem to think, um, they have a traditionalist, you know, gain within things because that was really sad to watch a phenomenal World Cup that has to be led into this shitty controversy because of an individual's crap. But that's just to me saying I felt like I had to bring that up. But um, continue to watch women's soccer and other women's sports across the board. You should have watched the Women's uh, World Series this year. That was awesome, too. Uh, the women's World Series was really good. Uh, was really I good. won't hold it against you if you didn't watch the uh, the the penalty shootout loss Team USA game, although it was very intense. Oh, it hurt. was not uh, yeah. fun. I didn't have my phone on for like a day after that. That was a really bad night. But otherwise, uh, they'll, they'll bounce back. I I think with a coach who knows how to start his good players, I think we'll be yeah. we'll be good against it. So. Finer days <laughs> are ahead, and also Olympic basketball. There's a lot to cover right now. Basketball championships are right now. Shakira Richardson, rules, ah. world champ. I can't. Uh, I can. Jason's gonna put like the outro music during this segment, and it's like, oh no, don't outro. We need to talk Rules. all about that. Go if you haven't watched it. If you're listening to this, if you haven't watched it, go see Shakira Richardson the the hundred meter final at the World Championships, Lane Nine. Which if you know anything about track, how hard it is to win out of Lane Nine, it was amazing. I know. I know you're a big time track guy. My interest in track and specifically the sprint events is directly proportional to how good Team USA looks in those events. Because otherwise, I just am not super into it. Looks like Team USA is on the rise. So that's very exciting. Uh, if we button this up in the next minute and a half, we will be under an hour. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Yes. Um, but thank you again for joining us. Thank you for those final thoughts, Steve. Uh, for WNBA Nation, I'm Logan Jones. I'm Steve Schwartzman. And we got you next time.